Hey, I did want to say our uh, people in Israel are doing well. I've been getting some pictures, and I wanted to share some with you. They've, uh, if you don't follow Cindy Box on Facebook, she normally sits over here. Sorry. Uh, she, you can go friend her and see a lot more posts. But here's one picture of the group we have. They're having a great time. Uh, they're in Capernaum there. But this is really the only picture I wanted to show you was this next one. Uh, is Tom Delosier on a camel. So, <laughs> And Jenny. Jenny looks really happy, too. Um, but I have a feeling I can use this picture in a lot of ways against Tommy D. So anyway, if you know Tom, greets at this door over here. He's having a good time in Israel. You can, you can be sure of that. So uh, this morning, we are going to talk about uh, the gospel. And we are a gospel-believing church. We are gospel-believing people. Uh, and what that means is we believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. What we just sang about um, that even though we had sinned against God, uh, he loved us enough to come after us, just like we sang about. He loved us so much, and it was a little bit reckless of him uh, to love us because we were sinners against him, every single one of us, and yet he loved us so much that he came after us. Um, this is what we believe as a church. We, we claim to believe the gospel. That's what it takes uh, to be a Christian, is that we have to believe the good news of the gospel, that Jesus um, loved us enough to come after us. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved so we could have the reward and the righteousness that we didn't earn, right? That's what we believe as Christians. It's all grace. It's not based on our works. It's not based on wearing the right clothes to church or being a part of the right uh, you know, serving as much as you can and doing all these good works. That's not what this is about. We are a gospel-believing church, that this is all based on grace. And the, the beauty of the gospel is this, is that it changes us. God doesn't intend to stay the same as we uh, were when we come to him. When we believe the good news of the gospel, that, that God is gracious towards us, it changes us on this earth. And yeah, it changes our eternal destination, but it changes us on this earth. And one of the clear ways that it changes us and sets us apart from the world uh, is, is what we're going to talk about today is an interpersonal conflict. And there's a whole host of things we could talk about how the gospel changes us, how we handle money, how we handle friendships, how we handle marriage, all these things, right? But today we're going to focus on this one and see what God's word has to say. Now, I want us to think briefly, how does the world handle when, when, when somebody sins against us or I sin against them, how does the world handle this? What are, what are the popular beliefs out there about how we handle sin or junk, you might call it, between us? How does the world, here's a few uh, popular beliefs. If somebody hurts us, call them toxic and cut them out of your life. That's real popular. Uh, another one, be loyal only to those who are loyal to me, and it's good to get rid of a bunch of people out of my life. Uh, the world handles it by gossiping. That's not a gospel response. No, I'm going to tell everybody else about it, but I'm not going to talk to that person. Uh, the world handles it this way. They get revenge through their words or their actions. They let them have it because they hurt me. They, uh, this one's not good. Uh, and it's really common. Instead of having a personal conversation, let's have it on social media. Let's talk about how what this person did to me. And there's so many ways the world in our flesh that we handle sin. And sin is a reality. We will hurt each other. Like, 
This one's a hard one to preach because I know that I've hurt some of you and you have hurt me, right? This one's not easy to preach. But we know as Christians that sin is a reality and we have to deal with this in a way uh, that God wants us to. And so that's what we're gonna look at. What does the Bible say? This is not necessarily, hey, here's how Byron would handle this because I've messed up on every single one of these. But how does God teach us to handle conflict between us? And I'm talking specifically today about Christians. I'm talking in this room. People, God, gospel-believing people, how do we handle conflict when, when I sin against you or you sin against me? So we're just going to look at five things. This is not all that the Bible has to say about this. There's a lot more we could say about this, to be sure. But these are five things uh, that God says about this. So number one, before we ever talk about how we have a conversation with each other, number one, there are times to overlook offenses. There are times to simply overlook offenses. Look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. It says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. He's saying, it, don't, don't take everything so, like, be slow, be patient. Not everybody's trying to offend you. And, and sometimes we need to overlook an offense. Proverbs 17, 14 says that the beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. And 1 Peter 4, 8 says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Our disposition towards each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, as gospel-believing people, is one of love is one of reconciliation, is not one of revenge and strife and division and quarreling. That is not what we are called to. We are called to love and to cover a multitude of sins. So there, there is a time to overlook offenses. Not everybody means to hurt us. What he says in Proverbs, it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. It's a good thing, right? Not every time there's a conflict between us does that mean we should have a confrontation, that we should hash it out and bring it all out, right? Not every time. Why? Because that's not how God treats us. God overlooks many offenses in my life. His disposition towards me is not to be belittling or, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not harsh, right? His disposition towards us is, is one of love. We just sing about it and we love it. Right? Oh, the overwhelming, reckless love of God who chases me down and fights till I'm found. There's no mountain too high. There's no, no, that's a different song. Uh, uh, there's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up. We love that when it's towards us. I really, that wasn't in my notes. That was just because I'm hilarious. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, we love that grace towards us. We love when we're the ones that's the recipient of it, but we may not always show that to others. God is not overbearing with us. He is patient with us. He is kind with us. And there is a time to overlook offenses. Some of us struggle with this. I struggle with this. I am critical in my heart of hearts. I see everything that's wrong with things, systems, people, and in my heart of hearts, in my flesh, if I'm not believing the gospel, then I can be critical of you whether you know it or not. 
And I don't want to be like that. I want to be like God. I want to be overlooking of things. People are not always out to hurt me or offend me. Now, there is time and there is real hurt and real pain and real things that we should talk about. So I'm not saying that we should look, overlook every offense. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible's going to talk a lot about how we handle these differences, this sin between us. But there is a time to let things go. There is a time to do that. And we're going to talk about the, the, how we handle uh, sin and how we talk about it with someone else. But before we ever get there, we need to look at point number two. Number one, there's times to overlook offenses. And number two, we must deal with our own sin first and take personal responsibility. So before we ever go to the other person, you did this and you did that and this happened, we need to look inward. That's what, that's what God says. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, a classic passage. Verses 3 through 5, we won't read the whole story. But he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We first, before we ever come to somebody, before we ever just start throwing accusations around and dealing with what they did against us, we need to look inward. We have to be aware that we have some contribution to this conflict and that we may be at fault in some way. So before we ever come and point fingers, what he, what he says here is he compares it to a log or a, you just may say plank uh, in your own eye compared to a speck. And just based on the size difference, what's he saying? He's saying probably the log is more important for you to deal with than the speck. He's not saying that we shouldn't deal with the speck in other brothers, sisters' lives. We should help them get rid of the speck. But first, what does he say? We should deal with our own. Before we ever go to someone else, we have to examine our own selves. What did I bring to this? How did I hurt? How did I um, sin against them? And we have to own that. We have to. If we don't, what's going to happen? If I go into a conversation, uh, I'll just use my wife because she's not in here. If I go into a conversation and all I have is a list of everything that she did wrong against me, what's going to happen? She's going to whip out a, li a list twice as long, right? Ten times as long, right? Because I got a log, not a speck. Right? She's not going to listen to me if I come, hey, baby, you did this and this and this. You're tearing, do, do, blah, 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 right? No. But if I come with a sense of humility saying, man, how did I hurt you? What have I done? Can we talk about this? It changes things because I'm willing to own my own responsibility in it. If we don't do this, one, they're not going to listen. But two, we probably don't really believe the gospel because what the gospel says, the first step in becoming a Christian is what? Admitting that you're wrong. This is like basic 101 Christianity. How do, we, how do we enter into a relationship with God? First, we have to recognize that what? We're wrong and he's right. That we're sinners and he's holy. This is the first step towards God and it's every step after that. So if we can't take personal responsibility for what our contribution is to something, if we always think it's someone else's fault or it's them or it's that, 
We have to first own our own. And this is hard for some of us, and it's easy for some of us. Uh, depending on your personality, depending on how you were raised, depending on all sorts of things. For me, this is hard, right? It's hard because of pride. It's hard because I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. But that is so central to the gospel that I admit I am wrong. I sinned against you, right? If we can't do that, then we are slaves to our pride. And what he says here and what he's pointing out is that the gospel is the remedy for our pride, right? The gospel shows us every day that we are nothing, that we are sinners who choose ourselves and choose our own desires over God. And if we can't believe that, then we will never work out the differences between each other because we haven't worked out the difference between us and God. We haven't dealt with the sin that's between us and God. Now, it should be the remedy for us on pride because what we know as Christians is this. If, if I sin against my wife or I sin against Will and I come to him, I know, I should assume anyway, what is waiting on the other side of me confessing? It's forgiveness, right? When I'm coming to God, he's not saying, well, I hope you confess right. I hope you did this. No, what's he offering? Free forgiveness, and so we know as Christians, when we're dealing with conflict with each other, we should assume, what's on the other side of me owning my own fault? It's forgiveness. This should, this should squash our pride, right? We should be free to confess and own it because we know that there is forgiveness waiting for us from God and from another brother or sister. So this is number two. First, Sometimes we need to overlook offenses. Number two, we have to deal with our own sin first. We have to take personal responsibility. But now let's talk about how do we actually have a conversation about this. And some of you may be going, is this ever talked about? Is this a thing? Yeah, it is. Matthew chapter 18. Number three, here's what Jesus has to say about this. How we deal with sin between each other. He says, talk directly to the person and seek reconciliation and restoration not revenge. Look at Matthew 18. Starting in verse 15. There's a whole bunch here. There's more that we're not going to be able to read today, um, but it's a, a great chapter. Matthew 18. And, and again, this is not Byron talking because I am non-confrontational in my flesh. I don't want to deal with this, but this is Jesus talking, and here's what he says. Matthew 18, 15 to 20. He says, if your brother or sister, sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector." Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. There am I among them. And we like to take that verse to mean that maybe God's with us anytime we're with other Christians. But what he's talking about is specifically that God is with us when we're dealing with the conflict that inevitably comes up between us. Right? God will be there with us. That's his promise. So first, what's he saying? 
If we're going to live out the gospel and how we have conflict, how we deal with sin, we should talk directly to the person. I feel like I'm talking sometimes to my toddlers. This is, this is what we teach my toddlers. No, don't scream. Talk to her. Like, tell me. I, I've had that, Robin, I had that conversation a hundred times a day. Talk to him. Talk to her. Don't come to scream to me about it, right? What's he saying? He says we should talk to the person. We don't talk about them. We don't talk behind them. We talk to them. And this seems so simple, but is so often ignored. Verse 15 says that go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. When we sin against each other, we should talk. Don't talk about it to other people. Don't spread it around on social media. Don't all the other things we are prone to do in our flesh. If we're going to believe the gospel, if we're going to believe this, then we need to talk to them. And so we can be sure any form of gossip or slander is not from God. And if we hear it, we should stop it and say, no, you need to talk to them. If, if we're participating in it, we need to stop because, no, we need to talk to the person, right? And he says, there's a chance. Uh, no, sorry. Talk to the person. And we should seek reconciliation. So second, if we're going to live out the gospel and how we talk about sin between each other, our goal is to restore the relationship. Because that's what he says in, in verse 15. He says, if you, he listens to you, you have gained your brother. The point of me coming to my wife and, and, and telling her where she wronged me is not so that I can stick it to her and check one off for Byron on the marriage scorecard, right? That's not it. That's going to end very badly in my marriage, right? And that's, that's sometimes how we treat conflict is like, I'm going to prove they're wrong. They're going to prove, I'm going to show them no, how we handle conflict is what? To restore, to fix the relationship because sin divides and what the point is is to bring back together. We want to point it out in their life so they can repent and return to the Lord so they can apologize and we can forgive. Now third, what he says is they may not listen. Anybody been there? Yeah, right? We are prone to defend ourselves and lob accusations back. And what he says, if they don't listen, widen the circle a little bit. Involve someone else in it. Don't involve someone that's like a star witness in your case, right? It's going to really stick it to them. No, you involve someone else who has the same heart to see them restored, to see them uh, reconciled, right? This is not just your buddy who, who you've been venting to about this. No, this is somebody who has the same heart to restore and reconcile. And he says if they won't listen to even that, take it wider. Widen the circle a little bit. Take it to the church is what he says. And he may mean the church as a whole or he may mean a bigger group in the church or church leadership. But what he's saying is keep going. Involve some other people in this decision. And what he says finally, and some of you go, yeah, this, here's where I finally get to. He says, if, if they refuse to even listen to the church, treat them as, a, he says, Gentile and tax collector. And we're like, yeah, cut them out of my life, right? Is that what he means by that? Not at all. Not at all. To treat them as a non-believer means what? How do we treat non-believers? If we cut every non-believer out of our life, we're not going to be a church very long. How do we treat non-believers? We love them, 
We invite them into our homes. We share the gospel with them, right? We treat them as son and daughter of the king who needs to first be reconciled with God. We love them. We don't call them toxic and cut them out of our life. Scripture is clear that we should talk directly to people and seek reconciliation and restoration, not revenge. And do you see how different this is in the world? Social media and gossip and slander is everywhere. This is, we were meant to be different in how we handle conflict that will happen. Number four, I gotta move faster. Number four, we forgive each other because we understand how much God has forgiven us. We could read the whole rest of Matthew 18. There's, a, there's this parable Jesus tells, it's verses 21 through 35. It's the parable of the unforgiving servant. And the story is about this. A man owes this debt to a king that is immense. It is a lifetime of savings. He owes this debt to this king and he will never be able to pay it. There's no way he could earn enough money to repay this debt. And he goes to the king and he begs for mercy. And what does the king do? He forgives him. He says, you're free, go, right? And the man leaves and he goes and finds the man uh, that owes him 20 bucks or whatever, something small. And he, the man can't pay. And instead of doing the same thing that he had just had done, being forgiven, he has the man thrown in prison for not repaying a debt. And the king hears about it and he says, you are a terrible person. And he throws him in jail. He says, the way you have been forgiven is how we are to forgive, right? right look at Ephesians 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Or Colossians 3, 13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. If we're going to claim to believe the gospel, if we're going to claim to believe this, oh, the overwhelming reckless love of God that chases me down and fights till I'm found, and then we will not do the same for others, we don't really believe that statement. When we refuse to withhold forgiveness, or when we withhold forgiveness from a brother or sister who is owning their sin, we don't understand the gospel. If we're going to be different, we are meant to be kind and tender-hearted and ultimately forgiven because we have been forgiven. This is not how the world thinks. The world thinks hold a grudge. God says, forget it. It's as far as the east is from the west. We are meant to forgive. There's a whole bunch we could go into this. I'm just out of time. Let's go to number five. Because I, I think at this point, I, at least I feel this in myself. I don't know if you feel this. Yeah, but what if it doesn't work out? What if they won't listen? What, but, but they're not going to listen. They're not going to have it. They're not going to respond the way I want them to. Like, it's not going to work, Byron. I'm not doing this. And I feel that. I don't want to talk to them because it's going to be awkward. And then, and then what if they don't respond, right? We feel that. We need to be responsible for us. We are, you are not responsible for how someone responds. You're not responsible whether they do what they're supposed to do. You're responsible for you. If I heard that once, I heard that a million times in my life. Byron, you're responsible for your actions. I don't care what your brother did. Right? 
We are responsible for us. And so number five, the fifth thing is seek to live at peace and unity with each other. There are so many verses, but look at Romans 12. Romans 12, starting in verse 17. He says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Memorize that verse, underline it, write it down, put it on your, on your mirror, on your refrigerator, on your dash of your car. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. There, there are people that will not reconcile. They will not get over it. They will not forgive you. He doesn't say, don't, don't go to them. He says, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on you, you're not responsible for what they do when you come. You're responsible to be obedient to the scripture, to talk to them, to point it out, to deal with your own sin, to all those things, to seek unity and reconciliation. And it may not work out. That's not the point. The point is that we need to live out the gospel in this area. If we really believe that God loved us so much that even though we had sinned against him, he came. He had, he had every right to stay in heaven and punish us. But he didn't. He, he crossed the awkward boundary and he came to us and he pointed out our sin and he showed us how he was gonna fix it so that we could be back in relationship with him. Like that's what he did for us and he's calling us, if you're gonna believe the gospel and have faith in me, then you do the same for each other. The point is clear, so many places and so many scriptures that our aim in this room, among this people, among each other, how we treat brothers and sisters in Christ is to respond in forgiveness and restoration and to seek peace. And if we really understand the gospel, how much we've been forgiven, how much we have been, uh, our sin has been overlooked, how much uh, God has done for us, then we will do the same things for others. That's what scripture has to say. There's so many application points and there's so many hard conversations and difficult, there's, there's other situations and things we don't even address in here, grace and truth and so many things. But my hope is today that you would hear the gospel clearly, that God loves you despite how much you've rejected him. And he did everything to save you. He sent his son to die on a cross to save you so that y'all could be in relationship. That's how much God loves you and he wants you to come back no matter how many times you failed him. Let me pray. God, I thank you for today, and I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the good news that you love us. God, even though we're the ones that rejected you, I thank you that you didn't take full advantage of your right to stick it to us. God, but in love and in kindness and with patience, you overlooked our offenses by putting them on your own son, on Jesus on the cross, so that you and us could have a relationship. God, we thank you for the gospel.
God, may we be a gospel-believing people and a gospel-living people that do the same. God, may we not live like the world when it comes to sin between us, but may we live differently because of the change you've made in our life, God. And so we love you. We thank you for this morning. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.